If you'd like to advertise to thousands of dedicated listeners on our show each week, send us an email over at thegeniuscast at prowrestlingstories.com. Behold, the genius Lanny Popper, the world's smartest man. Sometimes what goes on behind the scenes is stronger than the soap opera on the video score. You're listening to the Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo and co-host JP Zarka of ProWrestlingStories.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the poet and limerick writing, motivational speaking brother of WWE Hall of Famer Randy Savage, the genius, Leaping Lanny Poffo! Hello, wrestling fans. This is Lanny Poffo, and this is... J.P. Zarka of ProWrestlingStories.com. And how are you doing, Lanny? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. We're coming off the heels of a really memorable show on Mr. Perfect. Kurt was a fascinating, talented wrestler, and people, even 15 years after his death, all have the interest in the world for him. I just can't believe it's been 15 years already. I can't believe it either. What a, what a fantastic guy, and, you know... The greatest four months of my career was teaming with Mr. Perfect. Listeners found your Regis and Kathy Lee story quite funny. Here you were told by Hennig backstage to leave the talking to him, yet you didn't want to sit up there with cameras rolling with your mouth shut if Regis asked you a question. It was quite a predicament to be in, but I think you did great in those two segments on the show. Well, if somebody asks me a question, it's like, um, it's a knee-jerk reaction. And, um, you know, the thing is, I didn't want to rehash negativity it's an imperfect world. We survived it. A lot of people thought that it was a very entertaining two segments. Now, before we started recording, you and I were talking about travel. We mentioned Australia, and you brought up a hilarious story about how you spent your free time while you were on a trip down under in 1980. Do you want to tell our listeners about that? Well, I got on the plane. I've been to Sydney, Perth, Melbourne, and Brisbane, and back to Sydney because we were going to fly out of Sydney. And... I sat down and I said, man, my butt is itchy. I couldn't figure it out. My butt is itching. What was it? And I said, oh no, oh no. I had been the day before in a nude beach. My butt had never seen the light of day. And I was out there a little too long and I got a big rosy red butt. And uh, I said, well, that's great. I'm gonna be sitting on this red butt for the next two days. So, so much for the genius. I am the one wrestler that makes time to sightsee. And uh, the only thing I didn't get to do is see the Great Barrier Reef. But, you know, when you're in Sydney, Perth, Melbourne, and Brisbane, and then you go, there's no time for sightseeing. But I got to see a lot of great things. The best thing I saw was in Perth. A 10-year-old Aborigine girl came up to me and said, Lanny, you were my favorite wrestler. And she smiled, and I said, Oh, wow, that just made my whole trip. And she was so beautiful, a little Aborigine girl. And I said, oh, wow, thank you. And I gave her a Frisbee, and uh, I would have given her anything. It's amazing the reach you have with fans all across the world in places you would least expect. It was a great moment. I, I still think about it.
Now, for a special treat to start our show, we're going to have Lanny on the line from Tokyo. What we're going to do is for the next couple of weeks is we've got a few interviews coming up that we pre-recorded before Lanny's trip to Tokyo. But at the time of this recording, it's Saturday, two days before this drops. I just want to see how things are going out there with you, Lanny. How are things in Tokyo? Oh, fantastic. I love it here. It's the first time I've ever been to Tokyo and uh, everybody's busting their butt to please me. And uh, of course, I take advantage. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, it's just that everybody at New Japan, they are so polite and professional. And uh, I'm very, very happy. And, uh, you know, if I was going to go to Japan, I wanted to do it now while I'm still young enough to enjoy it. Absolutely. Now, you've been out there commentating, doing the road to power struggle for New Japan. And, you know, a lot of listeners, a lot of fans of New Japan product, you're hearing your voice for the first time. How are you feeling about things so far? I love it here. Everybody's so nice to me. Uh, the food is great. Uh, I was actually in Shibuya Crossing, and I put that on my Facebook page. I love it here. It's just uh, the people are so respectful, and they try to be nice. They're earnest. Everybody's a team. They want to help me. You know, I am new to this. I'm not new to wrestling, but I'm new to putting a headset on. There is a learning curve, and I hope they put up with me because I do love it here. You've been in Japan now for a few days. What do you have going on next over the next few days? Well, I was actually supposed to leave um, on the 30th, just in time for Halloween. Right. But they asked me if I would stay over for Osaka, which is going to be on November 3rd, which means I am now leaving on November 4th. And, uh, of course, I said yes, and I told you I had to cancel that other booking from Cleveland. Right. Which I hated to do because, you know, I, I hate doing that, but I had to do it because uh, these people have my priority. I love it here. Everybody is so nice to me, and I feel relevant again. One of my favorite parts of you doing this so far is you called Suzuki Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Do you fear your life now? No, I don't fear my life. I just uh, – he's a tough shooter. You know, he was – there was a there was a sport called Pancrase where he took a very dear friend of mine, Ken Shamrock, and not only beat him, but destroyed him and tried to hurt him. And um, I don't think there's any place for that in any kind of wrestling, whether it's mixed martial arts or ever. You know, we can find out who the better man is without killing the guy. And uh, he basically killed my friend, Ken Shamrock, who is now alive. But I mean, it was dicey for a while there. If somebody taps out, let him up. Release your hold. Now, how's the morale been in the back? Did you get a chance to meet some of the guys? Oh, actually, I haven't been with the guys. I'm all, you know, being by myself with the announcing team. So it's two different animals. Uh, I'll probably get a chance to meet a lot of the guys on the bus going to Osaka. So I don't want to keep you on too long because of the time difference. At the moment, it's 10.36 p.m. and you just got done commentating your second night out there. What's next for you? What are you going to be doing when you wake up tomorrow? I've got a couple of days off, and then uh, I'm going to wait for further instructions because, you know, I don't have a car. You don't really need one here because everything is mass transit, just like London, just like New York, except it's better here. So that's good you get some time to actually sightsee and go out and maybe try some of the foods, look at the different sites and so on. Yes, I've already tried a lot of the foods, <laughs> you know. But uh, I joined the Admirals Club on American Airlines. I got a lot of nice food there. But when I went to Dallas, I had such a tight connection, I couldn't try out their Admirals Club, and I heard it was great. Right. So now you're going to go out and try some of the Japanese food. We know you're a vegetarian. Are you going to be trying some sushi out there? Oh, listen, 
Um, when I was in Ecuador, I ate qui because when in Rome, do as the Romans do. That's right. I've already had sushi. I've already had all types of Japanese cuisine. And uh, I am a health nut. But when I'm on the road, I live as the Romans do. And uh, when I get back home, I'll go back 100% strict. Well, I want to thank you for your time, for coming in and telling us how things are going out there. We'll catch up before next week's show, and we'll see how things are going. But until then, all the best to you, and enjoy your time out there. I want to thank all the fans for making this show a huge success. And I promise you, this show will go on whether I am in Japan or not in Japan. Um, it's going to be my priority. I love the Genius Cast, and I appreciate the fans taking us straight up with a bullet every week. We get more and more visitors. Uh, the word is out on us. Uh, you've got the quality, JP. You've got the editing skills, and the music comes in just right. And everybody loves what you do. And uh, I'm very proud to be a part of it. It's first class all the way. I appreciate that, Lanny. Kick some ass out there. Talk soon. Thank you. We are incredibly honored to have almost 40-year legend of the ring, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, on our show today. Thank you for being with us here on the Genius Cast. Well, thanks very much, JP. But you know, the first thing Hacksaw Jim Duggan's got to do is get a big ho! Oh! Kind of fires me up nowadays. Hey, hey that's a pretty good hole, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I always give Ric Flair the business. You know, Rick always goes, woo, woo. And I'm like, Rick, are your trunks too tight or what? It's more like a ho. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could put the ho up against woo any day of the week. I don't know. Flair is one of the best, man. He's a good friend. That's what I, I give him the business. Uh, we hope to get him on the show one of these days. Well, thank you for being with us. You know, I got a bunch of questions prepared. And, of course, we'll have some time for you and Lanny to catch up, too. But I want to take things right back to the start. For our listeners who do not know, you were a football, track, wrestling, and basketball star in high school. You won the New York State High School Wrestling Championship in the Unlimited Weight Class Division, and you were recruited by Ohio State University to play for their storied football program. But instead, you opted to play for Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. What was your reasoning behind going to SMU over Ohio State? Well, you know, JP, it's I, you know, we hear so many hard luck stories in wrestling about guys growing up in a rough atmosphere and a, a horrible family life. I grew up in uh, in the States. It's called Mayberry, a TV show. It was a great upbringing. I have three older sisters. Uh, my family's very close to this day. My dad, God bless him, was chief of police in my town. So I had a, a really nice up, uh, upbringing. So my, my high school career was... Uh, like I said, I had a really nice high school career. I won the state uh, wrestling uh, championship unlimited, undefeated my senior year. Uh, my shot put record from 1973 still stands today. <laughs> I'm like, get those kids some curios up there or something, you know. <laughs> it's been a long, almost 40 years, and uh, football was my main sport. So I was lucky enough to be recruited by Ohio State, Penn State, many huge powerhouses, but the offensive line coach, which the position I played was from SMU Southern Methodist in Dallas. He kept coming up to Glens Falls upstate New York with a big cowboy hat and cowboy boots back in the seventies. My mom fell in love with him, And, uh, you know, it's, it was a good decision because Ohio state, I would have been just a number. Uh, I went down to SMU. I was able to start as a freshman, 
I had a record for consecutive starts down there. I was captain of the team. I was all Southwest Conference. I had a great career down there at SMU. But the biggest thing about that decision, JP, is that's where I met Fritz Von Erich, and he opened up the door to professional wrestling. Yeah, that's right. You ended up meeting him, and he kind of recruited you into the wrestling business. Now, you did fantastic when you were at SMU. You were voted team captain of the football team, and you got a bachelor's degree in applied plant biology. Have you ever used that degree in your life? Uh, no, no, not too much, uh, you know, because I came you know, through college. And the main thing I expected, you know, I wasn't actually a wrestling fan growing up. I was consumed with football back in the 70s. Uh, the Green Bay Packers were a powerhouse football team here in America. And I just wanted to play for the Packers for 20 years, you know. And so after football, my main concern was to stay eligible during school. I, I wasn't a very good student, and, uh, but I was able to stay eligible. And then I went to the Atlanta Falcons uh, where I had two knee surgeries during preseason. So I was on injury reserve all year. I went up to Canada. I played a little bit in 78 up there. Saw I had no real future in uh, professional football. Uh, gave Fritz von Erich a call, and uh, he opened up the door. He gave me the huge gift. Because back then, JP, wrestling was a closed business. Now everybody knows a wrestler. Back then, there was a handful of wrestlers, and kayfabe was very strong. You wouldn't get in the dressing room. You wouldn't see the guys around. It was a, a huge gift for Fritz von Erich to take an outsider like me, you know, give me that gift. Because back then it was mostly a family uh, show, uh, like Blanny, like you said, the Poffos, the Von Erichs, uh, DiBiase, Jake the Snake Roberts, Kurt Henning, many of the guys' fathers were in wrestling. You go on and on. And then uh, to have uh, Fritz open up that door it was a, a huge gift to me. And me and Von Erich are, are close to this day over it. You also trained under Samoan wrestling promoter Peter Maivea, the grandfather of The Rock. You certainly had some great people showing you the ropes. Well, I like to say, you know, JP, I, I wrestled The Rock's grandfather. I wrestled The Rock's father. And I may get The Rock at WrestleMania. Oh! <laughs> no chance in hell. <laughs> no chance in hell, as Vince would say, you know. Well, you never know. You're still young. <laughs> Compared to Hogan and Flair, I am. Right. But anyway, <laughs> uh, no, I put both good friends. But anyway, I left Fritz uh, down there in Texas. And I came up and I worked for Vince McMahon Sr., the WWF. And I was doing jobs for Angelo Mosca and Ken Batera and Stan Hansen. And uh, yeah, I was wrestling as Big Jim Duggan back then, short hair and clean shaven. And they sent me off to learn wrestling and to be sent of all places to learn Hawaii. So, uh, what a, you know, as a young guy, you know, we weren't making no money, but uh, I met one of my best friends of my life out there, Haku Ming, uh, that I've known since 1979. And, you know, back then we were making, you know, 30, 40 bucks a week, five guys living in a little one-room apartment. But we were all young guys learning the ropes and paying our dues. Now, I've got a lot of interest in the Dallas Sportatorium. You spent a lot of the early part of your career there. Now, despite it being known as this iconic venue where legends such as yourself, the Von Erichs, the Freebirds, Jake the Snake Roberts, a young Stone Cold Steve Austin, even Elvis, he walked through those doors when he was playing music there. By all accounts, and pardon my French, it's been described as a bit of a shithole. Now, we did a piece up on ProWrestlingStories.com about the Sportatorium where Gary Hart, he describes the building as nothing more than a leaky tin building with uncomfortable wooden benches that had no backs and it'd be 110 degrees in the summer and colder than you can even imagine in the winter. Paul Bearer, he used the quote to describe it as, 
It may not be a church, but it's certainly holy ground. Tell me your memories and experiences working in the iconic Sportatorium. Well, you know, coming out of a, a football background, it's a huge change, uh, American football, obviously. You know, in, in our sport, you have a helmet on, you have shoulder pads, you have 10 other guys around you. The fans are 50 yards away from you. All of a sudden, I'm in professional wrestling where you're in the ring, the fans are five feet from you, and you're dressed in a pair of short shorts and patent leather boots. It's a terrifying ordeal when I was a young guy. So even wrestling in a relatively small arena, but still, like I said, holy ground, the uh, sportatorium, it was nerve-wracking for big Jim Duggan to be out there in front of those people and trying to learn my trade. Now, later on, you went over to Mid-South. You were a very successful heel as part of the Rat Pack with Ted DiBiase and Matt Bourne before you turned babyface. What was the heel heat like for top heels in Mid-South in those days? Well, you know, back then it was uh, a whole different deal. Before it was sports entertainment. You know, Bill Watts, uh, Mid-South, they had a waiver. You wanted to try one of the wrestlers, you signed the waiver, you get in the ring. Of course, you get in the ring, they put you in there with like Dr. Death, Steve Williams, or somebody like that, and they pull their legs off. But, you know, uh, working with DiBiase, any of the second-generation guys, like I said, uh, the Poffos, uh, DiBiase, Jake, Henning, they're just that little more polished than the rest of us. And for I learned an awful lot from Ted DiBiase. He was, uh, he's a very good wrestler, you know, goes uh, the actual business of wrestling, in-ring work. And I learned a lot from Ted working. You know, like I said, it was just very dangerous back then, getting back and forth from the ring. You know, the people would spit on you and punch at you and kick you. So it was a, a hazard deal. And I tell the story, it's in my book, uh, actually, the Jim Duggan story. I'll give that a little plug. <laughs> so I was out in uh, West Texas, like Lubbock, Amarillo, you know, and I'm in the back of the dressing room, all covered with boogies and bruises. Uh, my mentor pretty much back in the day was Bruiser Brody. And the, uh, that was, we were working for Joe Blanchard, Tully Blanchard's dad, the Southwest uh, Championship Wrestling. And Brody came in, he looks at me, and he goes, Doug, and he says, if you carry something to the ring, carry something you can use. Forget those feathered bows and sequin robes. <laughs> I looked down, I'm like, well, here's a piece of wood. And I came out yelling, waving that piece of wood. It was like part in the Red Sea, those folks scattered. <laughs> I got to the ring, and, you know, I, I've been carrying it ever since. It's been a, a great gimmick, you know. Uh, I walk into an arena with my good friend Jake the Snake, and I said, can somebody find me a board and get him a 10-foot python? <laughs> <laughs> One is probably easier to find than the other. Yeah, a little easier to find. Yeah, he had to drag that snake around wherever he went. I want to bring up Matt Bourne. We mentioned him earlier. Now, there's a video of you guys online having a match that turned into a bit of a shoot. Tell me about your relationship with him, because by all accounts, he seemed to be a bit of a grouchy guy. Well, there's a, a lot of history there, Matt. And I, like you said, we were part of the Rat Pack way back in uh, the early 80s, and we had a few uh, exchanges, let's say, in the back in the dressing room. Diviasi uh, witnessed uh, Bernie Ladd broke one up. Uh, but anyway, like I said, I had a good damage career, so I did okay. And, uh, you know, uh, it's hard to say, because Matt's, you know, Matt's passed away, so... I'm not going to talk bad about the guy, but uh, we're, you know, I, that's one of the huge misconceptions of wrestling. People, well, you guys are all good friends, aren't you? <laughs> no, we're not all good friends. You know, you have a few friends, you have a lot of acquaintances, and you have a couple of enemies. And Matt Bourne was my enemy. 
Now, Lenny was just talking about recently, he was just at All In on September 1st, saying how the backstage area, everyone got along. How would you say the backstage area now compares to how it was back then? The dress room, you know, was a lot of fun, especially, you know, Mid-South, where Lenny and I, I tell you, we had, a, we had a lot of fun with Soap Monster and, all, you know, all kinds of stuff. But uh, it, it was a, a fun atmosphere. But still, there, you know, everybody was competing for a job, but everybody got along, too, because you don't want, want any open hostilities. Uh, nowadays, I think the kids now are, are, are much more professional. You know, back in the day, you'd walk in the dressing room, a couple of guys might have been up all night and be sleeping up underneath the table, you know, uh, guys out messing around with the women. Uh, nowadays, you go to the show, the kids all got their uh, phones or their laptops and they're, you know, I think the kids may be even more athletic, but I don't think they're as creative as our generation. I mean, our generation of guys was the golden age of wrestling. I mean, you can name 10 guys without thinking, Macho, Jake, Junkyard Dog, Tate. You know, just name after name just comes off. So, uh, you know, and Lanny and I were lucky enough to be part of that uh, golden age. The good old days. (laughs) Now, when you were with Watts, you played this fierce heel character. And then when you went to New York under Vince, you played a baby face that was geared more towards the kids. What role did you prefer? Well, uh, actually, I I joke, you know, because back in the old days, I chopped a lot of meat, you know, like you said, down there in Mid-South, me and Matt Bourne would beat the devil. One man gang, I joke, I said, I've I've had easier street fights than lost working with one man gang. He beat the hell out of you. But, you know, as I got older, my my persona, like I said, changed. And at one point when I was the king of wrestling, I had the cape, the crown, the flag, the board, the thumb, the tongue, the hole, and the crossed eyes, you know. <laughs> and, and I'd come back from the dressing room and Strongbow would be like, Duggan, you know, you want to be a little more serious in the ring. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and Bobby Heenan would be like, you know, uh, Vince, Duggan needs an eagle. He should get Duggan an eagle. I'm like, Bobby, shut up. <laughs> I mean, the eagle is a joke to carry around, you know. But uh, also, as, you know, like character, I survive much longer i couldn't you can't survive long chopping meat like that and i joke i said to this day i said i'm the last of the old timers with all my original body parts everybody else has got a new knee a new hip a new shoulder i said yeah, hacksaw does it comes in the original package <laughs> <laughs> you know see doing you know you look at foley you know mix what 10 12 years younger than me and yeah. you know what sacrificed his body for wrestling but now as an older guy, I'm thinking he might be rethinking jumping off the roof. Yeah. He and Taker, they're almost half bionic these days. Well, and, and Hogan, look at Hogan, you know. Years and of I leg drops. A big guy, but all those leg drops, year after year after year. I mean, it's no business. You're always a phony wrestler until you go to court. <laughs> when you go to court, you're a trained killer. You're like, wait, I was a phony SOB that afternoon. The old wrestling joke goes like 10, 20, 30,000. <laughs> Every time you hit him, the lawsuit goes up. <laughs> like, I'm going to sue you. I said, I'm getting my money's worth. We're not done. <laughs> no, as Lanny used to tell you, if you meet 100 people, 99 folks are cool. But you always, that one guy will be like, you want to arm wrestle me? You look bigger on TV. <laughs> oh, yeah. I bet you got a lot of guys trying to test you back in the day. Uh, yeah, and back in the day, you know, I was 300 pounds and young and dumb. I mean, nowadays, it's, if you're going to be somewhere, it's always good to have security. But I'll tell you a little story. I just did a, a, an autograph session here uh, in uh, South, South Carolina. And, 
talk about security. I was looking in the, in the line, and about five, six people back in the line was a big, rough-looking man. And I'm like, oh, you know, checking around, see where my security is, and I'm signing autographs. And finally, this guy works his way up through the line, and he comes up and he squeezes my hand, he looks me in the eye, he goes, Hacksaw Duggan, me and my dad, we used to watch you on TV. It's humbling the way folks remember us wrestlers, a lot of generation of guys. I mean, what do you say? The guy got up, gave the guy a hug. He got teary-eyed thinking about watching Saturday afternoon wrestling with his family and with his dad and mom. Uh, and I'm sure it happens to Lanny. It happens to our generation and around the world. I love joking with the NFL, the American NFL guys over here. They're like, well, we're world champions. I'm like, where in the world have you boys been? Wrestling is it's great. Uh, in my career, uh, 40 years, I've wrestled every state in the union, every province in Canada, in 31 different countries. It's amazing the appeal of wrestling around the world. We get a lot of a lot of people bring in and say, "I used to watch this guy when I was your age," you know. And it's 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 hard to think of a, a, another sports personality from back then you remember besides a wrestler. Or, or a band, you know, who, who's playing back in the 80s and 90s? You know, you think of uh, 10 guys, name them. You know, it was a, a special generation of wrestlers. And, you know, it's, it was a moment in time. It would never be replicated. Because uh, everybody was their own guy, you know. Junkyard Dog was Junkyard Dog. You know, Macho Man was Macho Man. That's all. He's in here with me too, brother. I mean, it's... Uh, but they weren't saying, okay, you're going to be so-and-so, you know. What you saw on TV is who they were. What were your thoughts on JYD? Because he was with um, Watts' promotion with you as well as in WWF. Yeah, Dog and I were, were pretty good buddies. Uh, and, of course, working as a bad guy, uh, you know, and I uh, wore a gorilla suit. And Ted DiBiase and I conspired to beat Dog, so he had to leave the territory. But he came back underneath a mask, a stagger Lee, and we could never unmask him to prove it was dog. But anyway, I was wrestling him down in New Orleans, which was his home territory. And I'm back in the dressing room, and, dressed, and the whole arena is chanting. And in uh, New Orleans, they have a who dat. It's a okay, who dat. When the, and they're like, who dat, who dat, who dat going to beat the dog, who dat. <laughs> the whole building, to this day, I remember was just vibrating <laughs> and it was uh they they hated me <laughs> and i came out and the place was just living and i'm working with jy and he's like you know get some more heat on me hacksaw i'm like bs dog make your comeback brother <laughs> when you get that type of heat you know you're doing something right yeah it was like i said it was there wasn't sports entertainment you know uh people people believed it and it was it was believable I mean, you know, when uh, Nikolai Volkov and Crusher Khrushchev walk to the ring, you look up at him going, holy smokes. It's not like when AJ Styles, you know, skips on down the ring going, geez, I think Bob at the gas station could kick his ass. You know, it's a, <laughs> d- a different business. Yeah, and then these guys had to fear their lives, so it was good to have gimmicks like a, like a, a two-by-four to protect you. You know, when you signed in WWF in January 87, your first major appearance was at WrestleMania three. That must have been quite the experience for you, being in front of 90,000-plus at the Pontiac Silverdome. Tell us a bit about that. Well, obviously, it was a huge uh, part uh, to, you know, a moment in my career to be in front of 93 largest crowd I have been in front of. Of course, we were close over there at Wembley Stadium. I think we were like in the high 80s in Wembley. Yeah. But 
93, uh, I was in Pontiac Silverdome. I ran down, I hit the iron seat, I hit Nikolai Volkov with my two by four. I'm standing in the middle of the ring with my American flag and having 93,000 folks chant USA. Uh, yeah, a, a thrill of a lifetime, brother. You know, it was uh, something I'll always remember. Wasn't that joke? I said, I came back to the dressing room and everybody's like, Duggan, Duggan, how's the crowd out there? And I'm like, well, without my glasses, the first three rows are full. <laughs> I don't know what the <laughs> hell else is out there. <laughs> Tell me about the sound. What was it like to be in the center of the ring in front of all those people? Because I know in arenas, you got a different sound than being in a dome or outside. You know, I had wrestled in front of, you know, I played football in front of, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of people before, you know, Mid-South, we'd run the Superdome and we'd have 40, 50,000 people at the Dome. They were, you know, Ron Erickson were running Texas Stadium. The business was hot back then. So, but uh, 93,000, that was, you know, something exceptional. Uh, and just just a thrill to be part of it. You know, to this day, say, yep, part of WrestleMania three, the big one. Of course, they beat it at uh, Texas, but everybody will remember, you know, three. Hogan, Andre. And Randy Steamboat, too. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. He didn't get the whole card was loaded, man. And I tell you that, back then you flipped through, you know, they were running three towns at night. You know, they had three A, B, and C teams running. And and all three towns were, were hot shows. I mean, you had Warrior League, one Macho on the other, Hogan on the third. I mean, everything was cooking. And, of course, back then it was a lifestyle. It was, you know, people say, oh, that's a rough job. And, uh, it's a lifestyle. And people would try to compare you to other sports teams. I said, no, we're not like a sports team. You're more like a rock and roll band than you're on a sports team. You know, a different city every night, different country. Uh, and, you know, and back, I joke, I said, in the old days, the, the booze, the women, the drugs. Man, I miss the old days. <laughs> <laughs> that was a different time in life. Do our listeners a favor and share a typical story of being on the road during that time. I did everything you can possibly do. I, you know, it was a, a different time. A lot of drugs, a lot of everything. And, uh, but, you know, Dibiase and Terry Taylor, they'd go and Rick Flair would go to a different club that me and Terry Gordy and Steve Williams would go to, <laughs> you know, they'd be at the GQ club and me and Gordy and doc be down to some pool hall where the smoke is down to about shoulder level. Everything's painted black. You know, everybody's <laughs> drinking whiskey. It was a, you know, me, Gordy and doc ran a, a little different uh, route than, you know, and, and Terry and uh, Carol Taylor and, you know, those guys. And then some other guys would, uh, you know, just be in the, uh, you know, the women deal, you know, Ricky and Robert, I said, the rest of us, we could just get the overflow, we'd be okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever get tough guys try to try it on with you on the road while you were out there? I know we mentioned this earlier, but in the bars when, when the liquid courage is there? Back in the day, you have a lot of fights, a lot of fights. And there was a Mid-South, uh, you know, and, and of course, back then, they, in, in the early 80s, they wouldn't sue you and you wouldn't get arrested. You'd have a bar fight. The cops would come in. They're like, get the hell out of here. You know, you get up, you know, nobody, nobody be hurt bad. Nobody's getting stabbed or run over or nothing, but, you know, uh, so you'd have, a, you'd have a lot of fights and I would tell people, you know, I'm a, I wouldn't try to do a plumber's job. A plumber shouldn't try to do my job. You know, every night I'm throwing punches, blocking punches. I get potatoes. I throw potatoes. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty much what I do back in the day. So, you know, that, especially, you know, I, I joke, I'd be standing there with Dr. Death, somebody punch him in the face, 
pow, smash him, bust his lip out. Go, that's pretty good, brother. Come here. <laughs> <laughs> Let me show you the real deal. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it was a, you know, as uh, probably rugby players, it's a, a, a tough group of men. That's right. In '88, you were the first winner of the first ever Royal Rumble. Did you ever imagine it would grow to become this iconic event today? No, I don't think anybody realized it would become, you know, probably the top, you know, two or three uh, Wrestle WWE events. But I don't think anybody realized how big the WWE would become back then. You know, I mean, the, the worldwide powerhouse it is now, and that's why it was good, you know, because WWF was my heyday. You know, that's and so, but I, they brought me back as a talent in WWE. So I like to joke. I said WWF. I wrestled Dusty, DiBiase, and Orton. WWE. I wrestled DiBiase's kid, Dusty's kid, and Orton's kid. Right. <laughs> so exactly. First I beat up the old man, then I beat up the kid. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, fired up. My neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they're used to it. Um, how was that idea pitched you guys in the back? I heard um, Pat Patterson came up with that idea. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, it's. Easy, one of the easier matches to, to, to put out there, you know, a lot. But the biggest thing to me, I was shocked I was going to win of all the people they had on the card. And that's obviously the huge, biggest feather I have in my cap is the Royal Rumble. I, win that. I was in shock pretty much the rest of the night. But as the mechanics of a match, it's very easy. You know, you just got to know who goes out before you and then who puts you out. So if Lanny goes out before me, when I see Lanny go out and you're putting me out, I come over to you. I'm like, JP, put me out. Right. So it's, it's uh, mechanically, it's a very easy, easy match. But uh, to make it look good, it's uh, that's why those guys are the, the, the best in the world. And I tell kids, you know, they come up to me and they're like, hey, you know, I want to be a WWE wrestler. I'm like, well, great. You know, chase your dreams because who would have ever thought Daniel Bryant would have made it? You know, I look at that kid, I'm like, there's no way in the world this guy's going to make it. But there's a guy who had the heart, the desire, the work ethic, and obviously became a huge star. So I tell kids, chase your dreams. But also remember, this year in the NFL, there's 1,500 NFL football players. There's 600 NBA basketball players. There's probably 100 WWE wrestlers on contract. Very, very competitive business. And the odds of making it that a better chance to play uh, Major League Soccer. Just a numbers game, you know. That's right. And you got to have heart, work hard, and hopefully get over in the process. And be in the right place at the right time. Yeah, you got to be right. in the right place, right time. It's not like some sport where you say, okay, if you can get a, uh, you know, a 36-inch vertical jump and you can run a four-flat, uh, you know, whatever, and, and this kind of bench press 500 pounds, you got a good shot of making it. That doesn't work in wrestling, you know. Well, so who would know a guy with a piece of wood and yelling hole would work? You know, Rick Flair, the nature. It doesn't, you don't know what's going to work and what's not. Uh, it's different than other sports, uh, in sports entertainment. And, and I tell you, like nowadays, the, the trend, uh, back in the day, big, powerful, strong men, earthquake, typhoon, one man gang. You don't see that kind of guy, body type anymore. Everybody's ball headed, sleeve tattoos, great abs. They look like bodybuilders. Yeah, you've got two types. You got the bald guys with beards, or you got the long hair with beards. <laughs> you know, you don't have the you don't have the big the big guys five hundred plus much anymore. No, and there's and there you know, and plus they have the, they have the uh, training facility down there in Orlando, and they have the guys doing five hundred squats and a hundred push ups. Those five hundred 
you know, 300 pound guys aren't going to do that. I mean, of course, they do have that, uh, that new big giant kid, but in general. You know, you got if you got a wrestler nowadays who looks like they're not physically fit, they're going to get a lot of flack. But, you know, everyone out there, they can go. It's just a different time now. Yeah, well, you know, that's the, that's the trend to, you know, guys that fly and guys with bodies. People say, Hacksaw, what was your favorite move? I said, I, I kick and punch. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm a brawler. I'm not a wrestler. And uh, But now the, the trend is, for the, the uh, in general, the smaller guys that do the high-flying stuff and have some really fancy, neat costumes. Now, would you say, because of the fact you were more of a brawling type and not doing a lot of high-flying moves, that this helped you not get as many significant injuries over the years? Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> I had my share of injuries, 10 overall surgeries. I mean, but uh, nothing, nothing replaced. But uh, knees, elbows, ankles, shoulders. You got big men flying around on television in front of thousands of millions or maybe millions of people. So everything's pretty live. You know, you just try not to hit me that swing. But everything else is. So you guys got you know, 300 pounds guys colliding out there. You know, injuries happen. And I told you, people say, actually, I saw, I saw you throw a punch. You missed the guy by six inches. I said, yeah, but you see, when I hit him by six inches, it goes both ways, brother. <laughs> now, you had a lot of feuds when you were in WWF and WWE. You know, you had the Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov, King Harley Race, Andre the Giant, Honky Tonk Man, King Haku, the Macho King Randy Savage. You had a lot of feuds with Kings, by the way. <laughs> Yokozuna, Shawn Michaels, Edge, Randy Orton, and a host of others. Now, if we had enough time, you know, we could break down each of those feuds and you'd have a chance to talk about your best moments and memories of each. You know, but of the many, and of course the feuds that I missed off that list, what were amongst your favorites and why? Because impressively, you were able to wrestle in many different eras of wrestling. Well, you know, uh, as we were talking earlier, the Royal Rumble is, is, is probably the, uh, the biggest feather in my cap. And with most folks... You know, say, well, that's probably your most memorable thing, but not really. Uh, it's, like I said, though, it's my largest accomplishment. But as a kid, you know, I'm from upstate New York, a small little town about 200 miles north of New York City. And as a kid, my dad would bring me down to Madison Square Garden to see the circus. So as an adult, to drive up and pull in front of Madison Square Garden and see Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Andre the Giant. I mean, it was... a you know, a huge double whammy, you know, to be main event at the Madison Square Garden, but to be in there with Andre, it was uh, a thrill of a lifetime. How was Andre to work with? Because I've heard mixed stories, you know, if he liked you, he was easy to work with in the ring, but if he didn't, he made your life miserable. I had I had a good rapport with Andre. Actually, if, if folks think back, Andre was really instrumental in my career. He, uh, he elevated me from like a mid-card guy to a uh, main event guy. Right. As a young guy, actually, I worked Andre when I was working for my via back in like 1979, 1980 over in Hawaii. And I was wearing a mask over there. I wrestled as a convict. And of course, all the top guys would go over to Japan to work. But on their way back, they would stop and do a show for my via in Hawaii and stay in Hawaii at the circle back in the, the hotel the guys all used to stay at back in the day. So I worked as a very young man. I, I got to work with Andre. So I had a little bit of rapport with him. So then, you know, you know flash back, you know, flash forward to the WWF. And uh, I think 
I forget what show it was, but Andre went down to the he stands in the middle of the ring and he's like, I challenge anyone. <laughs> and they're like, uh, Duggan, get your two by four. Come here. <laughs> so <laughs> I ran down there and I, I, I ran down. I put my uh, chin on Andre's belly, looking up at him. And I'm like, uh, I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> and uh, when he went to grab me by the throat, he kind of missed and just his thumb hit my lip, my upper lip. And knocked my lip right off, just like if somebody punched me, and my lip just fell down. So now blood is just cascading down my chest. It's just pouring down my chest. And Andre's got me by the throat, and he's choking me down. He's choking me down. He's choking me down. Time I'm, I'm feeling around on my two by four. I get it. I hit Andre between the eyes. Boom! He goes down like a huge redwood tree. WWF goes off the air. Me standing over Andre the Giant covered in blood two by four in the air oh and obviously that was a huge push in my career and you know if andre didn't want to do that he wouldn't do it if he didn't want to do it i believe that was from the superstars taping april 2nd 1988 if my google machine is correct i won't question you brother (laughs) (laughs) but yeah we did a show on andre a couple weeks ago and what we came to realize was if he didn't like you he made your life hell and he would terrorize you out there and if he liked you then you guys had good matches did you have any stories of hanging out with him outside the ring not too much. I know, obviously, he drank a huge amount. Uh, him and Arnie Scullin were friends. Arnie was a, a good friend of mine. But Andre, sometimes, he, he could be a playful giant, you know, which is better than having an irritable giant, I'll tell you. Right, that's I used true. to joke, I said, I'd get on the airplane, I'd be sitting next to a businessman, he'd look over at me, go, I, I had a rough day at the office. <laughs> I'd be, brother, <laughs> let me tell you, I just got done with a giant. He still had villagers <laughs> in his teeth from the night before, you know what I mean? You know, about a rough day. But Andre, especially guys with long hair, he used to like to punch you and knock you down. Of course, your hair would go on the mat. He'd step on either side of your head, stand on your hair, and grab your arms and pick you up. <laughs> so it's a real unique way to have your hair pulled, I'll tell you. And Jake used to come back to the dressing room, his hair would be sticking straight up. He'd be going, I, I hate when he does that. I hate when he does that. <laughs> Yeah, he used to say that it was like the sound of like piano strings popping. Terrible. Oh, yeah. The uh, you know, and uh, but yeah, I had a, I'd like to say I had a good rapport with Andre, and and uh, thrilled to have worked with the man. I mean, it's like I asked folks, you've seen Prince's Bride, and they're like, hell yeah, the movie, yeah, yeah, and the perfect casting. You need a giant. Get Andre. It's like the Big Show and uh, Strom and these guys they have now. They're like big, well-proportioned men, like like Shaquille O'Neal, you know? But Andre was a giant. <laughs> Were you a little, did you ever get disappointed with his hygiene when you worked with him? Oh, oh uh, yeah, well, I'm glad you, yeah, the, of course, you know, it was a tough life for a guy being that big, you know? He was, uh, he couldn't, he couldn't sit on the toilet. Sometimes the toilet seat would break. He couldn't fit in the showers. Uh, he never washed his gear, so. Lanny put it, he's probably not the most hygienic guy around. You know, he had a, a unique aroma. <laughs> I was going to suggest that he go to the car wash, but I didn't, I feared for my life, so I didn't <laughs> mention it. You no, know, because, you know, I mean, uh, it, it had to be a tough life for the guy. I mean, everywhere. I mean, even Hogan can kind of disguise himself. Most of us can, you know, even back in the heyday, he can kind of disguise himself if he wanted to. Uh, everywhere he went, he was, uh, you know, really, 
Put your hand up. Let me see how big your hand is. Lonely life for a guy. You know, as, as you know, I think uh, uh, Tim White, right? Timmy used to be his payoff guy. He had been known to break people's cameras and stuff. And Tim right. White would, uh, you know, pay him all because people would take pictures without asking. You know, and I'm sure he get tired of it. I was with Hogan there when he was doing those Hogan and Friends things. We were out in the... Uh, I told him, people are excited to see me, but Hogan or somebody like that be behind me, like, get out of the way, Duggan, it's Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Pie face me. But we were flying out early in the morning, uh, out of, I think it was like Albuquerque, right? And we had been up all night, when we got to the airport. And it's like six o'clock in the morning, and people are like, it's Hulk Hogan. And everybody's like in a semicircle taking pictures of the guy. And I'm telling you the point, I'm like, hey, folks, give the guy a break, you know, man, it's six o'clock in the morning. I mean, and Hogan, he's like, and that's uh, just the deal, Jim. And like that, we all work to get to that point, but it must be hard to be, you know, that recognizable all all the time. Yeah, I say, yeah, I met so and so. He had a bad day, or no, he was really, he was really a jerk. I'm like, well, yeah, you know what was going on in his day, though. You know, his plane might have been late. He's been on the road for ten days. Hasn't had a good meal. Yeah, he might be a little crouchy. Any of us. You know, you hear about these fans who complain online about when they met their wrestlers, their heroes, and they were a bit grouchy with them. And it's like, of course they were grouchy. You went up to them at a gas station or in the airport. Leave them alone. Tell you, there's nothing nice to get out and come off an airplane and standing there with, you know, the encyclopedia and the action figures and stuff like that. I mean, you know, that, that, that that's a, that's a, you know, like especially this long after the heyday to be remembered and and people care about you know, uh, Twitter and Facebook and uh, Instagram and all that. I know when I first got the pipe, God bless him, Piper was alive. You know, I called him like, Piper, I said, I can't believe it. I've got 100,000 followers on Twitter. He goes, Doug, and I got a half a million. Like, I'll talk to you tomorrow, Pipe. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my opinion, and I've been in the business many years, Nobody in the wrestling business has more patience with the fans than Hacksaw Jim Duggan. You treat people very nicely. Well, thank you, Randy. Like I said, it's uh, as you've been in movie situation with fans that you have affected over 20 years ago, that you've had an effect on their lives, and you don't realize what that effect is. I mean, you don't realize, and uh, to have people come up and convey, you know, things to you, it's humbling. You know, of course, when you look at it on the other side of things, when you're in the public eye, you have fans coming up to you all the time asking for pictures, asking for an autograph, and as humbling as that is, you know, wrestlers are human, and they need that time to really shut off on their days off, and you don't really get a chance to do that. Did you ever struggle with finding a bit of peace during your time off? Yeah, but it's a, you know, it's a, it's a slow window. I mean, like I said, uh, you did uh, wrestle, uh, wrestle uh, what they call it? fan access at WrestleMania. And of course, they, they fluctuate their talent, right? So, uh, with Sasha Banks, I, I replaced Sasha Banks. I never got booed like that since I was a heel. <laughs> it's a small window. So, you know, enjoy it and appreciate it. And, and these folks are spending their hard earned money to say hello to you. At least you can do is, hey, how's your day going? You called me a day go? 
Well, I called you worse than that, but we're... <laughs> oh! <laughs> <laughs> and I was a nice one. <laughs> yes. It's funny, you mentioned Sasha Banks. There's hilarious pictures of her online meeting fans, and she looks absolutely miserable in that. Oh, really? Yeah. She's got this face like, get me out of here, you know? So, of course, if you catch somebody at the wrong time, you know, you're not going to get the best side of them, but they're only human. Yeah. Well, some people believe their own press, too, you know? I mean, it's only human nature. You work very hard to get there. You get to that point, you're on TV, you have action figures, people, you have fans. It's only human nature to get the big head, but come back to reality. And sometimes it takes folks a little bit longer to come back to reality. You know, I joke, I said, Magnum PA, I think he's still running around. I'm Magnum. <laughs> so you got to, you know, it's uh, don't believe your own press. You were talking about Andre having um, bad hygiene for being a big guy. What about Yokozuna? You've been at the receiving end of a bonsai drop. How was it working with him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yoko. Yeah, like I said, if there's a giant in our business, Yoko, Big Show, Kali, Andre, Doug, and get your two by four. <laughs> I have to wrestle every giant there is, you know. Umaga. But uh, yeah, I, had, I, had, I, I get along with uh, most of the guys, very few guys I've had trouble with in wrestling. Uh, like the Matt Bourne and I didn't get along. But I think uh, yeah, 99, 98% of the guys I get along with pretty good in, in the show. And me and Yoko got along. This is, he's not your opponent. He's your partner. Right. He's the guy you're wrestling with. So if you hurt him and he's out of the angle, you're out of the angle. If he hurts you and you can't do it, then he's out of the angle. So you got to take care of each other. You guys are both involved in part of the show. So the guy's not your opponent. He's your partner. How was he backstage? Was he a nice guy to be around? Yeah, Yoko, I tell you, some of my favorite keepsakes, uh, Lanny might remember them back in the day, Slaughter, we used to make these big elaborate, we used to play cards, because <laughs> we had so much time to kill, you know, back in, uh, you know, they had do, doing three hours of TV, and we had these elaborate brackets where if you lost, you went in the, the loser's bracket, you could work your way back up. I have two that I had won over the years. My favorite keepsake because this guy's, you know, Mr. Fuji, Yokozuna, Andre, uh, Kurt Henning, Big Boss Man. It's uh, cool to see everybody's names like that. Everybody yeah. wrote in their own name, you know. Yeah, re- reminder of the past. Lanny, I don't think you played much cards, did you, buddy? You were no, more well, a student of the I'll business. Tell you what, uh, I never played any cards. Uh, my brother used to, my brother was a card shark and he could have me naked in 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Me and your brother played some chess. Your brother played chess too. We were, I think, the only two in the wrestling dressing room. <laughs> Other guys didn't even know what the chess board was. <laughs> right. You know, I played chess against the computer, and uh-huh. uh, I I lost, but I beat the shit out of it at kickboxing. <laughs> <laughs> you were you mentioned getting along with most of the guys in the back, which is which is great. You compared uh, Matt Bourne being one of the few you didn't. What about someone like Buzz Sawyer? What was your experience like working with him? Oh, well, yeah. Nobody has pressure points, Kip. <laughs> yeah, Buzz and I didn't get along too well, neither. No. And uh, Manny Fernandez, uh, probably, if you're going to make the three and out. But, uh, yeah, Buzz and I, that's fine. There's a lot of uh, footage of me and Buzz working in Mid-South, and it was pretty much a shoot. Just to finish was a work. The rest was all pretty live. We beat the hell out of each other. Earlier, you mentioned being good friends with Haku or Meng. 
there's a bit of folklore around him as being one of the toughest guys in professional wrestling. In fact, you know, there's stories of him gouging eyes out in bar fights. You definitely don't want to be on the other end of a fight with him. Tell us some stories about him. Well, you know, the dressing room in general was a snake pit of tough guys. I mean, uh, it was kind of like the old uh, mutual assured destruction. Nobody's going to beat nobody's ass in a wrestling dressing room. You might win a fight, but you're not going to kick nobody's ass because the other guy's going to get his in too. There's the everybody. So that's why nobody wanted to fight anybody else because you're not going to walk away clean. You're like, oh, I kick this guy's butt. I mean, the guy didn't know how to fight. <laughs> if you're fighting another man that knows how to fight, it's not a you know. But anyway, so but Haku was a tough guy among uh, tough guys. He, uh, of course, you know the Polynesian race of people is a large, tough race of folks, and uh, the most caring, giving folks you can know. And Haku, I've known for like I said since '79. But the guy was a jerk magnet. <laughs> you know, you'd be in a bar, and the one jerk in the whole place would come over to me, <laughs> and he'd mess with him, you know. And then grab him and go, you know, first I kill you, then I eat you. <laughs> and I grabbed the guy. I'm like, buddy, buddy, come here, come here. And he said, you know, it's not a stretch for this guy to take a bite out of your liver. Right? <laughs> I'd leave him alone. <laughs> but uh, he was assaulted in a uh, uh, hotel bar in uh, Maryland, Baltimore, and he bit the tip of the guy's nose off. And, uh, of course, the guy sued him and uh, almost ruined him financially. But, but the, the you know the guys all the witnesses said he started but they how to use excessive force i think they had to wait two or three days for the evidence <laughs> <laughs> okay i get it i get it <laughs> but yeah good man last guy you want to mess with but i mean a good hearted and barbarian too tell us about how you first met randy and lanny think mid-south you met yeah. me in mid-south yeah. But, yeah, Randy, Randy, I don't think I met that WWF. I don't think if we crossed paths, I was just Jabroni Joe uh, back in the day, and he might have came through. But yeah, Lanny and I, we had we had fun down there in Mid South. That was a that was a fun dressing room, uh, and uh, pretty much everybody got along there. There's a little heat every once in a while. But did you two ever have a yeah. match together in Shemokin, Pennsylvania? <laughs> oh, okay. Shemokin, Pennsylvania, where you and I had a match together because Macho Man. Uh, oh, was late. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, he was late for the first time. And if, of course, I was finally getting my break as the genius, and I was very thrilled with that. You know, like, wow, this is my big chance. So, but if I were any kind of a man, I would have gone up to Chief J. Strombo and I said, I would say, why don't you give Randy a chance to get here since he's never late? Why don't you just put him on last with Duggan and put the tag team match, you know, on this where it belongs? Of course, I would have been fired for just impropriety, right? So, yeah, I, so I, yeah, I would, I would. You think I did the right thing by not suggesting that to the chief? Yeah, I don't think that would have been your spot, Randy. I mean, you, you shouldn't take no heat for that. No, the strongbow is going to do what he's going to do no matter what you said. So. So anyway, you and me are in the ring, and um, the guy sensational Sherry, you know, oh, everybody. Now it looks like it looks like a queer hiding from a whore, you know, and then a whore for hiding with a queer, and then but no, nobody made any contact for about ten minutes, but the people were enjoying it. So you know what? Well, every wrestling. time, 
Every time you got Sherry, I would sneak up behind you and then, whoa, and then I would scare, get scared of you. And oh, it was it was so much fun. And then our our fun was ruined with bam, 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 bam on the on the window. I see Randy's face and I go out of the ring and I open up, open up the door and he says, is this the last match? And I, and I said, no, <laughs> he says, who's the agent? Strongbow. He's dead. He says, take my shit and bring it back to the uh, dressing room. And Randy uh, goes in the ring and wrestles you. <laughs> and then and he, he comes back. And... Me. Are you kidding? He was so fired up. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. You got the, uh... the easy part. You took the stuff back to the dressing room. I'm in the ring with him. I'm like, I'm not strong, Bo. <laughs> so he comes back to the locker room in Shamokin, Pennsylvania. And he says, I've been here for five years, and this is the first time I've ever been late. He says, you just don't like me, do you? You know, <laughs> he's, yeah. you know, you could have put the tag on. Uh, he's talking know, to Strongbow. Yeah, talking to Strongbow. He's talking to, he's talking to Strongbow. Yeah, you just yeah. don't want me around. You know, I've been nice to you, and evidently you don't like me, so blank you, and that's it, you know. I was very ha happy that by the time they got to Allentown for the double shot, um, cooler heads had prevailed because I just hate having a lot of animosity in the locker room. You know what I mean? It's like, I just don't like the heavy yeah, well, feeling of... Yeah, it kind of goes through the whole dressing room. You feel the whole... You know, when it's a light dressing room, everybody's having fun. Usually back in the day, if you had any trouble, right, you'd take it back to the shower. That's where Brody got stabbed to death, right in the shower. Oh my God, yeah. And I'll tell you what... I met Brody in 1975, and uh, he was uh, he was an excellent person. You know, the thing is, um, he had a reputation for being a, a bully. He was a bully. He was a bully. Yeah, he was a yes. bully. He sure was. He was he nice, was nice to, to you guys. He was yeah. nice to me, but, but he was. I knew he was a bully. I had already heard about it, and I saw him in action. You know, he would uh, he would beat people up and then take their spirit. You know, and uh, eventually. You know, you're going to meet a guy that's maybe not as tall, but has a big knife. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he definitely was uh, a bully with a lot of folks. He sure was. And played a lot of bullies. The guys that would fight him back, he would never really mess with. Well, you knew him better than I did, you know. And like I say, I, I liked him a lot because he was always nice to me. Well, yeah. Well, I've I seen him where he definitely took, you know, he didn't take advantage, just beat people up, like you said. He was just a big bully, you know. But he was uh, obviously one of the best big wrestlers. Him and Stan Hansen, of course, are noted uh, in Japan to this day for their tag team run over there, being so stiff. I didn't really like Japan. I know I've, I've been over there probably 10 times or so, but I never, you know, my both my two best friends, Gordy and Doc, uh, they made a career out of Japan, pretty much. Before we let you go, we got a couple fans who wrote in some questions. Do you have some time for us to get through some of those before we let you go? Yeah, go ahead, brother. Okay, Tony wrote in and he asked, where did you get the idea for your iconic ho? You know what? I tell folks one time I got this big giant splinter in my thumb, you know? <laughs> and I stuck it up in there and I went, oh, oh, oh. That's my story. That's a good wrestling story. But actually, I, as a heel, I used to just yell at the people, and they yelled back at me, and it just kind of evolved into the whole, and I just enjoy interacting with the folks, and, uh, you know, the whole was, the whole was working. I said, but you got to be careful hoeing in New York. 
<laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Eric has a two-parter. It's a bit of a sensitive question. I hope you're comfortable with answering. The first one is, what are your thoughts on Bill Watts? And considering the trouble you got in being caught with your in-ring enemy, Iron Sheik, in a car while with the WWF, do you feel Bill Watts was right with separating the faces from the heels off camera? Yeah, I think Bill was uh, instrumental in a lot of guys' career. I think maybe 80% of the WWE Hall of Fame guys came through Mid-South. Because uh, you'd wrestle probably nine times a week. You'd do individual interviews for every city. If you didn't do it right, you'd do it over. He was a taskmaster and the, another bully. We're talking about bullies. Watts was a bully. But uh, I learned a lot there, and he was instrumental in, uh, in my career. And uh, on the, the K Fate deal, yeah, I think Watts was definitely right on it. Uh, I was definitely wrong on it. It was a huge mistake, uh, but it was over 21. I got to take responsibility for it. But, uh, you know, um, yeah, I was lucky to survive it professionally. It would have killed a lot of guys' careers because that was right after WrestleMania three, where I was in front of 90,000 people. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks later, the Sheik asked me for a ride, and we get pulled over. I had a little pot with me and I was drinking while driving, you know, cause they pulled me over. I'm like, well, what's the problem officer? He goes, you're drinking a beer. I'm like, yeah, this is illegal in New Jersey. I'm like, Oh, I live in Louisiana. <laughs> it's legal down there. Of course. And they searched the car. I had some pot on me. The sheik had three grams of cocaine and the story, of course, got blown way out of proportion. But, uh, remember to this day, I, I, my first call was my, to my dad. God bless him. He was still chief of police, so he asked me about the cocaine. I said, no, sir, I didn't get arrested for cocaine. I got arrested for marijuana, so he kicked my butt for a minute. But then my family rallied around me because they realized what a huge blow to my career it was. You know, My second call was to Vince McMahon. And I tell folks, I'll remember the day I die. I got right through Vince, and I said, uh, goes, uh, Jim? I said, yes, sir, Vince. He goes, Jim, what have you done to us? And I said, Vince, I'm embarrassed and ashamed. He said, turn in your tickets and go home. Boom, he slammed the phone down because we used to have a big stack of airplane tickets. So, uh, I mean, I went from in front of 90,000 people to being fired. And I went home and uh, I wasn't married yet. Uh, My girl, Deborah, who stuck with me when I went off the deep end for a little while, Finally decided I had to go back to work. I called Dusty down at WCW and set up a meeting to fly to Atlanta. But uh, Vince called me back and said, hey, we're going to bring you back. You know, don't do nothing drastic. Just lay low for a little while. And they brought me back, but uh, they never put the big gas on me. They kept me strong. They kept me okay, but they never put the big gas on me. You know, I, I joke I was never world champion. I was never tag team champion. I was never an intercontinental champion. <laughs> I was lucky to win a match, brother. Oh, <laughs> but that's the deal. Cause I, 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 I could, I could get beat. Cause I, you know, heck, I don't care if I win the match long as I win the fight, tough guy. So I could put flair over one, two, three in the middle and get up and get my two by four, hit him, hit the referee, chase the timekeeper and keep my steam up. So I didn't really need a belt, but uh, I never got the, uh, the big push after that, uh, bust with a sheet, brother. Despite not winning any belts, it doesn't matter. You won the hearts of the fans. I hope so, because uh, they've won my heart. We're going to go to one last question, which comes in from Ron. You remain eventing the Mid-South slash UWF territory before heading over to New York in 87. What was the money like in comparison between Watts and McMahon? 
the money obviously was better in, in WWF. Uh, but watch, because when WrestleMania came, one came, Junkyard Dog left. So that bumped me up to the top babyface spot in uh, Mid-South. And I was making probably three grand a week back then, you know, which was good money back in the day. Yeah, but uh, and then WrestleMania 2 came around, and you know, Vince came down and grabbed uh, Jake the Snake Roberts for WrestleMania 2. You know, Jake calls me and says, you need to come up. I went up for WrestleMania 3. So, yeah, the money was better in WWF, but also the cost of living was much higher in WWF. And, you know, but of course, in Mid-South, it was a lot of driving. It was, you know, 2,500, 3,000 miles a week driving all throughout the Southeast. But, you know, like I said, we were all a bunch of young guys. We'd have, a, you know, an ice cooler in the back, a bunch of sandwiches. You know, you party in Shreveport, then you party in Biloxi, and then you party in New Orleans. It was a, a fun time in the business. Of course, back then, you know, there was a lot more guys making a living wrestling. There's very few guys making a living now wrestling. Back then, every territory had 20, 25 guys that were making a living wrestling. And there was probably, you know, 10 or 12 territories around the country. Oh, there was uh, it was a great time in the business, and guys would bounce from territory to territory. And Vince finally came around, started WrestleMania or WWF, and pretty much cherry picked all the top talent and put all the small companies out of business. This has been a great interview. Is there anything that you would like to say to the fans before we go? Thank you so much for all the years of support. Uh, Thank you for my lifestyle and thank you for my family. I mean, it's been a, a great run. Like, so many people hear the negative stuff about wrestling. Uh, for me, you know, I've been with my wife for over 30 years. Uh, I never had to go to rehab for booze or drugs. Uh, no felony arrest. A couple misdemeanors, but that was back in the 80s. You know, it's, it's been a good business for me. And, uh, and the reason it's been a good business is because of the fans. And, and I realize that. What about those overdue library books that you have? You know, you're telling the story. You're talking about library books. I already talked to you about what kind of student I was. Let no library you. books. You, you could have got me with something else, but library books. No, man. If only the younger version of you knew one day you'd be a published author. No, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and of course, that the WWE album went gold, so I do a lot of charity events. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I have a gold album. <laughs> I want to just say thank you for your years of friendship. And, you know, um, there's a lot of, uh, if you don't say it now, when are you going to say it? Okay, because, you know, uh, wrestlers are dropping like flies. The time is now to say something nice. And I want to say thank you for being on the Genius Cast. I really appreciate it. And thank you for your years of friendship. And if Macho Man were here, he'd say the same thing. Well, thank you, Landon. You're, you're my friend, and, and so wasn't your brother. And anytime I can do anything to help you, you give me a call. And, and JP, give me a hold before you leave, buddy. I know can Lanny can hold. Can you, buddy? Oh! <laughs> That's a pretty good hoeing. Thank you. <laughs> Landon, good to talk to you, my friend. JP? We'll see you down the road, I hope. I hope so, too. Thank you for your time on the Genius Cast. It's been a pleasure to meet you. All the best. My pleasure, buddy. Jim Duggan, what a guy. I met him in 1983. He used to make me laugh so hard that I thought my face was going to fall off. I Sometimes I thought I was going to die laughing. And uh, he still... 
tours the country and the world as a comedian. He's a stand-up comedian. I've done. A, I've also done that about nine times. Uh, but he he does it more, and he's funnier than I am. If there's anyone who's been there, done that in this business, almost 40 years, still going strong. And he's happily married to his original wife. And that's something I can't say. But, um, you know, he's got two beautiful daughters and uh, he's putting them through college. And they're all successful and everybody's thriving. So I'm just saying because of the movie The Wrestler, you don't hear these stories a lot. You see what I mean? But there are they are out there. Tito Santana, Rick Martel, Chacksaw Jim Duggan. You know, these are the happy stories. Comes to show, good marriages do exist. That's true. Cartoon world of pro wrestling. Yep. It's a Barnum and Bailey world, just as phony as it can be. But it wouldn't be make-believe if you believed in me. And with that, we've reached the end of this week's Genius Cast. So long and goodbye. Ho! I just want to say, not as the genius, not as Leaping Lanny, as Lanny Poffo. Thank you to all the fans that made this genius cast a big success. It's a lot of fun to do. I hope it's fun to listen to. We can't thank you enough, guys. And thank you to everyone who's already left a five-star review on iTunes. Every single one of those is going to help our show grow. If you haven't done so already, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Genius Cast. We're going to be using those accounts to keep the Poffo family memory alive. Quick shout out to ProWrestlingTees.com where you can get both of Lanny's shirts for sale. You've got the Black Machismo Jay Lethal on one side and you've got Lanny on the other. And also don't forget the new Genius Glow shirt for sale. You'll look great in front of your friends and you'll get a shout out on our show. Thank you to all the fans who've written in and sent in your poems that you wrote specifically for this show. That means a lot. You can continue to do that and send Macho Man Clip of the Week suggestions and questions for the show to thegeniuscast at prowrestlingstories.com. We had a lot of fun this week and we can't wait to bring you a new Genius Cast each Monday, so don't forget to subscribe. I'm J.P. Zarka, and you can find me on Twitter at J.P. Zarka, that's Z-like zebra, A-R-K-A. That's it for now. So long and goodbye. You've been listening to The Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo. This has been a ProWrestlingStories.com production. Find them on social media at The Genius Cast, at Lanny Poffo, or at J.P. Zarka. If you'd like to advertise to thousands of dedicated listeners on the show each week, send an email to TheGeniusCast at ProWrestlingStories.com. Until next time.